The next day, Cherokee Sal had such rude sepulture as Roaring Camp afforded. After her body had been committed to the hillside, there was a formal meeting of the camp to discuss what should be done with her infant. A resolution to adopt it was unanimous and enthusiastic, but an animated discussion in regard to the manner and feasibility of providing for its wants at once sprang up. It was remarkable that the argument partook of none of those fierce personalities with which discussions were usually conducted at Roaring Camp. Tipton proposed that they should send the child to Red Dog, a distance of 40 miles, where female attention could be procured. But the unlucky suggestion met with fierce and unanimous opposition. It was evident that no plan which entailed parting from their new acquisition would for a moment be entertained. Besides, said Tom Ryder, them fellows at Red Dog would swap it and ring in somebody else on us. A disbelief in the honesty of other camps prevailed at Roaring Camp, as in other places. The introduction of a female nurse in the camp also met with objection. It was argued that no decent woman could be prevailed to accept Roaring Camp as her home. And the speaker urged that they didn't want any more of the other kind. This unkind allusion to the defunct mother, harsh as it may seem, was the first spasm of propriety, the first symptom of the camp's regeneration. Stumpy advanced nothing. Perhaps he felt a certain delicacy in interfering with the selection of a possible successor in office. But, when questioned, he averred stoutly that he and Jenny, the mammal before alluded to, could manage to rear the child. There was something original, independent, and heroic about the plan that pleased the camp. Stumpy was retained. Certain articles were sent for to Sacramento. Mind, said the treasurer, as he pressed a bag of gold dust into the expressman's hand. The best that can be got, lace, you know, and filigree, work, and frills. Damn the cost! Strange to say, the child thrived. Perhaps the invigorating climate of the mountain camp was compensation for material deficiencies. Nature took the founding to her broader breast. In that rare atmosphere of the Sierra foothills, that air pungent with balsamic odor, that ethereal cordial at once bracing and exhilarating, he may have found food and nourishment, or a subtle chemistry that transmuted ass's milk to lime and phosphorus. Stumpy inclined to that belief that it was the latter and good nursing. Me and that ass, he would say, has been father and mother to him, don't you? He would add, apostrophizing the helpless bundle before him. Never got back on us. By the time he was a month old, the necessity of giving him a name became apparent. He had generally been known as the kid, 
Stumpy's boy, the coyote, an allusion to his vocal powers, and even by Kentuck's endearing diminutive of the damned little cuss. But these were felt to be vague and unsatisfactory, and were at last dismissed under another influence. Gamblers and adventurers are generally superstitious, and Oakhurst one day declared that the baby had brought the luck to Roaring Camp. It was certain that of late they had been successful. Luck was the name agreed upon, with the prefix of Tommy for greater convenience. No allusion was made to the mother, and the father was unknown. It's better, said the philosophical Oakhurst, to take a fresh deal all round, call him luck, and start him fair. A day was accordingly set apart for the christening. What was meant by this ceremony, the reader may imagine, who has already gathered some idea of the reckless irreverence of Roaring Camp. The master of ceremonies was one Boston, a noted wag, and the occasion seemed to promise the greatest facetiousness. This ingenuous satirist had spent two days in preparing a burlesque of the church service with painted local allusions. The choir was properly trained, and Sandy Tipton was to stand godfather. But after the procession had marched to the grove with music and banners, the child had been deposited before a mock altar. Stumpy stepped before the expectant crowd. It ain't my style to spoil fun, boys, said the little man, stoutly eyeing the faces around him. But it strikes me that this thing ain't exactly on the square. It's playing it pretty low down on this year baby to ring in fun on him that he ain't going to understand. And if there's going to be a godfather's around, I'd like to see who's got any better rights than me. A silence followed Stumpy's speech. To the credit of all humorists, be it said that the first man to acknowledge its justice was the satirist thus stopped of his fun. But, said Stumpy, quickly following up his advantage, we're here for a christening and we'll have it. I proclaim you Thomas Luck, according to the laws of the United States and the state of California, so help me God. It was the first time that the name of the deity had been otherwise uttered than profanely in the camp. The form of christening was perhaps more ludicrous than the satirist had conceived, but strangely enough, nobody saw it and nobody laughed. Tommy was christened as seriously as he would have been under a Christian roof, and cried and was comforted in as orthodox fashion. 